Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Podcast Radio. If it's in business, it's Business Soup. Your host is the incomparable John Debevoise. Today, John will be talking with WizKid Boris Mushayev. He's a tax strategist that specializes in tax planning and compliance for self-employed attorneys and law firms. But today, John and Boris are going to give you, the small business owner, valuable information that's going to help your company save money. So pull up a chair, sit on down. Tax strategy is about to be served right here on Business Soup. Boris, welcome to this serving of Business Soup. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. You are a numbers guy, and I love numbers. You talk about the numbers in the capacity as a CPA and a tax strategist. What's the difference between me going to a CPA and someone who calls himself, like you, a tax strategist? What do you do for me that's different? Great question. Usually business owners, almost every business owner in America, files their taxes for their CPA or their tax preparer or their accountant, whatever title they have. And most often than not, they see their accountant once a year and they just file their taxes. You bring your record to your accountant or your CPA and they file your taxes, which is their job, right? This is the job of a tax preparer. What we do is a bit different. We don't just file your taxes, but we actually find you strategies. What we do is called proactive tax planning. We look at your life, at your financial situation, at your taxes throughout the year to come up with strategies that are specific to your needs to help you save money on taxes. Well, I know that you have for years now specialized in the legal industry of planning, doing tax strategies and filing their taxes. And you're on our show here because, quite honestly, a lawyer is a, is a business as well. Some of them, and I know a number of small practitioners, solo practitioners, they are businesses just like you and I. And there are different entities, but different ways in which to strategize and ways in which to keep the money by what I call taking it from one pocket and putting it in the other. My kids are an excellent example of how to write off my kids. Now, my audience has heard me say this before, didn't motivate me to have any more, but I did write off everything that they ever encountered as an employee, and they paid their own bills. They didn't know it, but they did. So as an entrepreneur and a small business person, let's work our way through what are those deductions. But the first thing you have to do when you start a business, and most of my audience already have one, is creating an entity. Most of us, right. when we go out the door, we do a DBA. Now, when you have no money, nobody cares. Until you start making money, then people pay attention to you, and they often will, will try and separate you from your success. And there isn't an attorney I know that won't separate me from my success. So how do I keep your clients out of my office with an entity? How do I keep your clients out of my office? Is that what you said? Yeah. How do I keep your clients, the lawyers, out of my office by structuring an entity? <laughs> okay. So when it comes to entity structure, and you said some businesses, they start off with a DBA under their name, or maybe they even apply for a tax ID number under their name, right? Right. So the first thing that they want to do is, first of all, form it. Like if it's going to be a serious business, then let's form an entity from the get-go. The problem that happens is that right away they run off and they create a corporation. And then they right away they convert the corporation to an S corporation without really knowing their numbers, what it's going to look like, or really having the projections, right? And I like to keep things simple for my clients. Hey, if you want to create an entity, let's start with an LLC. Why? A limited liability company is the easiest to form. It's easiest to manage. It's easiest to maintain. 
Okay. And it has a flexibility for you to be taxed however you choose to be taxed, depending on the business structure, the type of revenue you're bringing in. That is something that involves strategy a little bit down the road. So when you form an LLC, a limited liability company, you are, quote unquote, a DBA doing business as, but you have a legal entity structure. So that means you can file taxes on your personal taxes on a Schedule C. Many times we don't recommend filing on Schedule C for a few reasons, higher self-employment taxes, higher audit risk. But if you're in your first year, you're going to make twenty or $30,000. Maybe it will not be so cost beneficial for you to convert this LLC for tax purposes into a corporation, whether a C or an S corporation. So once you start making money, producing revenue, bringing in investors, bringing in employees, whatever it is, that's where you can make a decision. Hey, do I remain as an LLC because it's easier to bring in investors and easier, it's easier to bring in capital? Is it going to be my main business where I'm going to be the sole owner Then I can be an S corporation? Or is it going to be a business that I'm going to sell down the road? In which case, maybe C corporation is an option because C corporation has something that's called a 1202 qualified small business stock on the 1202 section of the IRS, which simply says that if you sell this stock up to $10 million in this qualified small business stock in your C corporation, then all those gains up to $10 million are tax-free to you. Of course, you have to meet certain qualification and criteria and so forth, but that is the careful planning, right? So to answer your question, when we want to structure an entity, we always want to start most likely generally with a limited liability company. LLCs have a lot of benefits, not just in the tax planning, but in the liability aspect of it. It protects you. It's a shield, and it's not as easy to penetrate that shield from the legal standpoint as opposed to when you get into an S and a C Corp. Start off with an LLC. Get that DBA off your chest because it's like running around with a target on you. Get an entity, get a tax ID number, as Boris is talking with us here on the type of structures. We're going to talk about other aspects of your business, whether you're an attorney as a sole proprietor or a small business sole proprietor, or you've got multiple employees. One of the things that I try to do is maximize my retirement plans, not only for myself, but for my employees. So what do we do about, as a small business owner, maximizing the retirement plans and lowering my taxable income? Yeah, great question. Sadly enough, I come across many, many business owners that, first of all, they do have a retirement plan, so that's not the sad part of the story, right? They have a retirement plan. It's like, hey, I want to save for retirement, but you know, I'm putting away like three, four, five thousand dollars. And when I ask them, hey, are you maximizing? They say, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I do my three percent match. So let me explain to you before we really get into the maximizing retirement, just the basics of a retirement, right? So as a business owner, you've got employees, or even if you don't have employees, right? So let's assume in this case you have employees. Now here's the thing: everybody should know this that everybody in America. Everybody, I don't care who is your employer, right? Or if you work for yourself or if you work for somebody, if your employer is offering you a retirement plan option, then you can put away up to $19,500 from your own salary into retirement. And if you're over the age of 50, you can put away up to 26,000, right? So basically your employer is not liable for it. You as an employee can choose to do so, right? Whether you work for a company or you work for yourself. Now you as a business owner have an advantage because you know you obviously run a business, you have cash flow to do that. So you get to choose to put away up to 19,500 of your own salary into your 401k retirement. Now, if your employees can do that, want to do that, that's okay. It's coming out of their paycheck, not from you because that is called a deferral. The next step is that every employer has to match their employees, including himself, up to 3%. And that's the 3% 
that you will be liable for your employees. So just an example, your employee makes 100,000, then you will be liable to put away only $3,000 for that employee, even though that employee decided to $19,500 of their own paycheck. The mistake that I see with business owners is that the business owner only puts away 3% for himself and the 3% deferral, and that's it. Because they think, well, if the company matches me 3%, I can only put away 3% of my salary. The answer is no, you can put away up to $19,500. Now, if you don't have employees and you're a solo owner, you can open up a solo 401k, which is much better than SEP IRA if you want to put away a lot of money, right? More, when I say a lot, I mean more than into a SEP. Okay, <laughs> And that will allow you to put away more money than SEP. And a lot of business owners like that idea because they have the cash flow to do it so. But of course, careful planning is required. In some cases, with my clients, we don't put money into the retirement. We always want to do cash flow analysis, so to speak. You know, what bracket are they in? They could be, even though they have a lot of cash, they could be in a low bracket this year. We don't want to do that. We don't want to put money away right now. You know, they could find other means to invest it and that that's their choice. So before you start opening retirement accounts, put start putting money away. Really always sit down with your tax advisor. Like, hey, how much am I saving? How does it affect? What else can I do with this money? You talked about the deferral. Let's say that I myself or a member of my family is an employee of an existing company, but I have a family member or I choose to open my own small business. It could be an online e-commerce site. With that, I get the security of the income, but now I have the opportunity to create my own separate retirement plan. Could I actually have two different retirement plans? Not the same ones, no. So if you have a 401k through your job and through your self-employment, the total contribution cannot exceed 57000 So you will not be able to. Oh, okay. You know, who thinks this stuff up? How do they know this? You know, all, all of these intricacies <laughs> that they come up with. Here's another good one. The intricacies they came up with, they're like, hey, if you own multiple business, let's say you have a, a business with 15 employees, right? And you're like, well, I don't want to have a 401k because I don't want to pay for employees. I'm just going to open another business and just do a 401k through there. The rules say, no, you can't. You know, you are the umbrella for all the businesses that you own. So under the grouping rules, you, you, you know, if you're going to open a 401k or retirement under business where you're the only employee, if you've got other businesses with other employees and you're majority owner, everybody falls onto that retirement account. <laughs> Boy, they thought of that one too. So we've talked about the tax strategies as far as putting money away and you can't do a double dip with a retirement plan. One of my favorite ways in which I shifted income was using my kids. Now, everybody knows I've had horses and ranching and all of that, and I gave them jobs. You know, give my son a pitchfork, you can pretty much figure out what his job description was. But he did a job and I paid him and, and he acted as an employee and he did those things and I treated it as such. That's what you call income shifting. What are some of the other great ways in which to shift income and, and why would you want to use your kids as employees? Because, man, you can fire them, but they keep coming back through the door. <laughs> yes. So before we get another strategy about the income shifting, shifting some of your income to your children, I just want to make a point on what you just said about hiring children, right? That in itself also requires a strategy. I'll tell you why. Before we get into it, just a basic uh, introduction and background, right? Anybody in America can earn up to $12,550 subject to inflation, right? <laughs> Disclaimer, uh, up to $12,550 every year and not pay any federal income tax on it. So if you made $12,550, you don't even have to file a tax return if you didn't have any withholdings. If you did have withholdings, you file, you get a refund back, right? So that's everybody in America. Now, 
Why is this important for you to know? This little detail is because now you can hire children in your business, pay them up to $12,550, and they don't even have to file a tax return. Or if they do, they won't pay any federal income tax on it, right? So what did you just end up doing? By giving them a legitimate job in your business, you shifted your income from your 30 or 40% bracket, you know, but let's say $12,000 to them, to their zero bracket. And I already explained why it's a zero bracket, because they don't have anybody in America can earn up to $12,000 and not file taxes. Now, they could have any uh, other job and your child could make $20,000. Well, it doesn't matter. The reason is, is because your child is probably still in a lower bracket. Right. Now, planning strategy here comes, which entity do I hire my child from? If you're a sole proprietor or a, a husband and wife held partnership business, when you pay your children, you will also not end up paying payroll taxes on their salary. But if you hire them out of your S corporation or a C corporation, then you will end up paying payroll taxes on their salary. Now, it could still be beneficial because you're in a 40% bracket and you know, you're paying payroll tax of 15.3% combined. You're still saving 25% there. But if you have an option to hire them of a different entity that you own, or if you have a real estate management company or you manage properties or some of your rental properties, you can structure it in a way where you can actually pay them from there or from that LLC management company so to speak, to not only not pay federal income tax, but also not pay payroll taxes. You, you had me all excited because I knew this. I learned this. And I paid my kids a salary from that bank account. And I treated them like employees by paying them through electronic banking, which was the God's gift to that type of structure, was paying them every two weeks. And I converted the expenses of owning them or having them into expenses, and the, which were considered ordinary expenses. They now paid their own bills. I thought that right. was genius. Yes, they can pay for their tuition. They can pay for their whatever it is, clothing, whatever it is that you've got. When I say tuition, I mean like private school, if your kids right. go to private school and so forth. Right? Any expenses that you have for them can be paid from their own account and because they legitimately work with you. And as long as you can show the IRS, hey, this is a real job. This is their timesheet. This is the job description that we're doing it. You know, you're, you're good. That documentation is a key, right? Is. Another way to save money on taxes. Now, if you're a corporation, you say, ah, Boris. I got to pay 15.3% FICA taxes. What if my children, by the way, just a little uh, side note, just to go back. When I said you don't have to pay payroll taxes, that, that's for children under the age of 18, right? That's the little fact that I missed. But let's say you have children who are over the age of 18. Well, I always say to my clients, hey, you know, John, I work with attorneys. Attorneys tend to hire their kids who are in, uh, in law school, right? They do some paralegal work and they're 19 or 20 years old. They say, pay them. They're still probably in a lower bracket than you are. Let them work and pay for them. But there is another strategy. If your children are over 21 years of age and they are in college and they're employed by your business, regardless of what entity you are, you can provide them with the fringe benefit of education assistance program and pay for their college tuition up to $5,252 free for, from federal income taxes and from payroll taxes. What college can they go to for 5,000 bucks? Well, listen, <laughs> it's up to 5,250. You pay 40,000, you can at least write off 5,250 from the business, right? And the reason I say if your children are over the age of 21 is the following reason. Let's assume we're talking about the Nest Corporation. With an S corporation, the child is under the age of 21. They're considered for tax purposes more than 5% owner of the business and based on the IRS attribution rules, blah, blah, blah. So over the age of 21, you're good to go. Another thing, in order for you to provide this fringe benefit, you also have to provide it to other employees. Assuming you don't have other employees who are in college, even if their children are in college, it doesn't count. It has to be an actual employee. Okay. 
in most cases, people have employees who are not in college, not going back to college, and they can employ their children, pay their children, put together a plan document, make it available to everybody, let the child sign it, bam, you pay them on a W-2, free of federal taxes and free of payroll taxes. Another great thing, which always involves planning, that's why you always need a tax strategist on your side. When the CARES Act was passed, they said this section 127 that has education assistance program expanded to include student loans. So if you own student loans, you can pay them by using that education assistance room, but that was only available for 2020. That was passed part of the CARES Act. So if you had children who are working for you, then you could, and they had student loans, bam, you could have paid student loans for 2020 if they didn't, were not in school anymore. So again, planning, strategy, talking to your advisor, and not just filing your taxes once a year and receiving your payment vouchers and then seeing your accountant at the end of the year and, and your accountant says, wow, you made money. That's okay. That's a good problem to have, right? That's we right. don't want that, right? We don't want that. We want to make money, but we also want to use the tax code to our advantage. Absolutely. And that is, I believe, is one of the requirements and is your absolute obligation and right to minimize your taxes. It's legal, moral, and ethical. Getting back to the CARES Act there, in that 6,000 pages, I missed that part about you can pay off your child's student loan. I missed that one in that 6,000 pages. I'm glad you read the 6,000 pages because you probably missed a lot, a lot of other things. <laughs> Uh, obviously, that was one that slipped my view, but you know it's amazing what they slipped in there for helping small business survive. So we're talking with Boris about strategies, and I love the subjects of writing the kids off. I did all of that. I had fun with it, and I explained everything about my kids, and they paid their own expenses through their own account, which they didn't even know existed because I treated them as employees. It gives you the opportunity to take the money that you would be paying in taxes and largely in part and transferring it over to them and then them paying what would be considered ordinary expenses because they're paying it through their salary. And through electronic payment, you just pay the bills for them. It's, I love that part. You're so excited about this. I think you should continue having kids. Well, that ship has sailed. <laughs> I, I've ridden that Never horse. Never too late, John. That, Never too late. That, that horse has left the barn. So... <laughs> Boris, let's talk about our health, your health, my health, everybody's health. We are born with this perfect body for the most part, and then we spend the rest of our lives beating the hell out of it, in my case, and we keep trying to mess it up. Then we bring in health strategies. We bring in the health health healthcare program. And boy, if you've ever been to, as I'm sure we've all been to CVS, you get in that line and you look at all these people and we go, man, they've had a hell of a ride. The way they walk and talk and what they're, the prescriptions that they have. But there's always health insurance. What are some of the strategies as a business owner that I should be employing not only for myself, but my employees and perhaps my children as employees? Very important subject. Unfortunately, I don't know why. I haven't found an answer for it, a good answer at least. I don't know why the regular taxpayer, even a W-2 uh, taxpayer, right, somebody who doesn't own a business, cannot write off their health insurance premiums and their taxes unless they meet some kind of a 7.5% AGI limitation and anything excess of that. It's like, it, it's, it's basically saying, unless you paid so much money for all these surgeries, only then maybe you can write off something, right? So unfortunately, I don't know why we don't have that in our tax code. Uh, so, but they do make these things available for business owners. And of course, they have limitations on them. So when you are a business owner, you should know there are ways to write off your own health insurance and to save money on taxes at the same time, provide a great benefit to your employees. 
Now, it really depends, John, on how you have your entity structured, whether you have employees or you don't have employees. So very briefly, if you are uh, a sole proprietor or a partnership, you get to write off your health insurance. It's allowed. You can write it off on your personal taxes rather than on a business return, okay? That is a sole proprietor uh, or a partnership, right? You write it off, whatever you pay. When you're an S-corporation owner, if you structure your health insurance payments correctly as part of the owner's compensation, not only can you write it off, but you also save on a payroll taxes on it, on those premiums, which is huge. 99% of business owners that I work with, and I can attest to it, 99% of the business owners that come through our doors, none of them are doing this correctly. It's an easy fix that could save at least $1,500 on taxes, just like properly including it as part of the compensation. Well, let's let's back up. Let's for a moment. So as an S corporation, if I take my health insurance premiums and I can take that expense of the health premium and apply that as to part of my salary, I then lower the company's tax liability by that dollars that goes over to me as the owner of the business. I can write that off. If I do it properly by, as, as you're talking about, if it's done properly, I can write off my health insurance along with everybody else in my family, all of their costs. Right. And so. Co-pays again, as well? No. Premiums. Oh, premiums. Premiums. I'll get to co-pays in a second. So premiums, right? So, so John, what you said is correct. You missed one point. What you just described is a business deduction, which is allowed under the S corporation. What I'm talking about, when you include your premiums as part of your compensation, okay, right, right? Then you, you're also safe payroll taxes on it. You understand? I heard that, but I forgot it when I was trying to reiterate it. So, the, sure, save sure, on, sure. so you're actually <laughs> reducing the amount of taxable income that would be applied towards the payroll tax. Correct. 99% of the time when I get business owners through the door, none of them are doing that. And guess what? When it's not included as part of your owner's compensation, you're actually not allowed the deduction. If you are to get audited, IRS will not let you take that deduction because it was never included as part of your uh, compensation, right? Very, very important. Now, let's talk about co-pays. If you are a single owner business, you've got a sole prop or you have a C corporation, then you can, and you have to have a spouse to do this because you got to hire your spouse in the business. You can set up another plan, a reimbursement arrangement. This again, if you don't have employees and you can pretty much reimburse yourself for all medical expenses, including the co-pays, including the insurance premiums, including other medical associated costs by knowing how to structure that. And again, uh, you know, we're not going to get into details on this podcast, but just you should know that it's available for you and speak to your accountant or have a tax strategy to be able to identify those things. Very, another very important note I want to make before we leave this topic. A lot of business owners are looking for health insurance for their employees. And when they look into the marketplace or they uh, shop for group plan, it's very expensive. And they're like, man, I want to provide this benefit. And, you know, if I'll shop through a group plan, then the employees cannot really choose their plan. I'm choosing it for them. And it's costing me money. Right. So what can you do in that case? Well, when the Obamacare came out, they had, you know, they had all these provisions and for the business owners. And if you don't have, if you improperly reimburse your employees, there's like a hundred dollar a day penalty. It was like really bad with penalties. Then they really came up with few laws to fix all that stuff. And they said, hey, you can reimburse your employees for the health insurance that they purchased themselves, but you have to have a reimbursement arrangement with them and you have to have a plan document. It's called QSERA, Qualified, let's see if I can do this, Qualified Small Employer Health Reimbursement Arrangement. I got it, QSERA. All right, so basically- <laughs> That's a mouthful, okay. <laughs> 
So with a QSERA, <laughs> you can reimburse your employees up to a certain amount. So instead of you getting a group plan for nine employees, you can say, hey, guys, here's the thing. You get your own insurance. You want insurance for a single member? You get it. You want insurance for a family? You get it. I am allowed to reimburse you up to $5,250, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me exactly on the numbers, but I know it's $5,000 and change for a single individual. And I think, no, $5,400, I think, for the new year with inflation, all that stuff always changes. And then for the married individuals, it's $10,600 or $10,800, right? So basically, you have that floor to reimburse them for medical expenses. Now, you get to choose, say, I can only reimburse you $3,000. That is your choice, right? But when you have that arrangement, not only can you reimburse them, they don't have to pay tax on it. You get it as a business deduction, and you're not subject to $100 a day penalty. And most importantly, you save money if you were to go with a group plan. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And if my audience would like more information on that, just go to BizSoup and you can find the link to Boris and what we were just talking about. And you'll also get the transcript. So if you're as lost as I am, it's all there and you can get a hold of Boris and say, what the heck were you talking about? What I like about it is how you can enhance your employees' income by reimbursing them at an amount up to 5000 and some change, or it can be a set amount. I can say, you know what, I'm only going to do 3000 or whatever it might be, and they're not taxed on it, and I don't pay taxes on it. It's directly to them. It's a reimbursement tax-free, and everybody, everybody wins but the government. How long is that going to last? <laughs> so far, it's lasting. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So I got it. So we have all the, the health strategies and such. Uh, the benefits can be very large as a sole proprietor business or if you have multiple employees or multiple businesses. That's interesting. My last subject happens to be one of my favorites, and that is the home office. I do my show and always have from my home, whether it's be my horses, my cattle, or my, any of my other businesses, as well as my radio program. I'm at home. And if you hear horses in the background, well, that's part of my business. What about home offices makes it beneficial for a small business owner, whether it's their sole place or a secondary office? How valuable is that home space and what qualifies as home space office? It's pretty valuable, right? Because think about it this way. You can funnel your personal home expenses through the business legally. So basically, if you're paying mortgage or you're paying rent, anything, utilities that you pay, any, you know, even cleaning service, you know, if you have cleaning service coming in once a month, they clean the home and your office, that qualifies as a home office expense. Hey, I'm working from home and I can write that off legitimately, right? The way you, you figure out how to write that off is that, hey, if my house is 1,000 square feet and my home office is 150 square feet, then 15% of all the expenses that are related to my home office are tax deductible. Now, if you do have a separate office location, let's say you have an actual work location, you have a store, you have a storefront, you have an office that you go to with my attorney clients, right? It, I mean, they all have an office, but they also work from home. Now you do qualify for a home office. Generally you don't, but you would if your home is used as administrative home office. You do all the administrative work from home. You're doing bookkeeping, you're doing invoice, you're doing all the paperwork, and that qualifies as a main uh, administrative office space, so to speak. And IRS actually allows you there as a publication, 
and all that stuff is written about that. And you can still take advantage of the home office deduction and you can still write off your home office expenses through that. Now, a lot of people think, well, if I'm going to buy furniture, then I also going to have to take 15%. No, anything that is directly related to your home office, you bought a desk, you bought a computer, you bought a phone, you bought a calculator in my case, right? I'm an accountant. All that is 100% deductible. But any, you know, uh, maintaining the home, those expenses would be deductible based on your square footage of your home office compared to the square footage of your actual home. I've done numerous shows that involve having a separate building as your office, whether it be the tiny home, office trailer, or whatever it might be, where your business is separate from the house. Is that a good strategy after all? It's not a bad strategy. It's the same strategy, essentially. It's, I guess it just differentiates uh, what, you know, if it's separate or not. I mean, it could be a good strategy to still write it off, whatever expenses are for that. Now, I've seen uh, clients ask me, hey, Boris, I want to build a separate, like you said, a separate structure in my home, in my backyard or whatever, uh, to build that home office. Can I deduct that stuff? You absolutely can. Everything that goes into building that will be deducted, right? Because the the entire thing is being used for the business. Would that be an expense uh, in the year of acquisition type thing, or would I have to depreciate it if it's over a certain value? If you own a home and you have a home office, whether you build a separate structure or the home office is inside your home, just a separate room, you can depreciate either or. What about the typical business that starts off at the kitchen table? Everybody's sitting around with a bowl of cereal and their coffee, and you're sitting there working on your business plan, your e-commerce site. How much of that table is considered office space? You can't write that off. The IRS says it has to be exclusive, but you know what? I, I was surprised it wasn't passed in the past, last second CARES Act, but, and I'm waiting for something to pass because after Corona, people are just working from home. Either they have a separate office space or they have a kitchen table, right. but they're working from home and that's where they're generating the income, right? Because anything that is used to generate income is tax deductible. So using that kitchen table, so to speak, is generating income. So there's no law on it yet, but I'm very hopeful that (laughs) there might be. And I think it could be. I think it's very possible. Uh, We just need an entrepreneurial congressman or congresswoman or senator in there. (laughs) That's the hard part is getting people, as you mentioned, the entrepreneurial, the small business owner, get them involved because it's very difficult for us to walk away from our business and still have it survive our political career. So... But they have to step up. They have to express the voice. And one of the ways is through what we're doing right here, educating my audience of small business owners how to use the tax code. You don't have to know it. You just have to learn how to use it. There's extra steps. And this show, along with the links that we're going to provide everybody through the website, will point them in the right direction on how they can strategize their tax savings. It's legal, it's moral, and it's ethical to save as much money. And as I said, you know, everybody was talking about President Trump. He only paid $700 in taxes. I find that hard to believe, but I can tell you this. If he was listening to us, he wouldn't have paid any. (laughs) Well, Robert Kiyosaki was saying that. Well, the reason Trump paid $700 in income taxes, I'm even surprised he paid $700. He doesn't have an earned income. He only has a portfolio income. (laughs) That's right. Anyway, Boris, I can't thank you enough for being on this serving of Business Soup, talking about tax strategies. Of course. And I look forward to having you come back and share the latest in the current CARES Act. We will. We definitely will. Boris, thank you for being a part of Business Soup. Thank you. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.